0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the We Are podcast of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared and We are your hosts on this fine podcast. Corey, it's the off season, of course, and there's not really much going on Penn State wise, with other than a couple of recruits here and there. Um, but let's evaluate the coaching staff. The first up is James Franklin. To me, James Franklin, I think does a great job off the field. Um, the recruiting is there. He's a great role model. He's uh, obviously a biracial, uh, biracial male. Um, so he's got that. He's, he's a minority. Um, he does a great job of um, of, you know, adding minorities to that staff and, and being an outlet for that and, and being a guy and a leader in that area um, on the field. Not so much. Um, the results haven't really added up recently, uh, not since they had some pretty good teams that it, 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 like they had. Offensive players of the year, defensive players of the year, obviously, um, and, and guys that are playing in the NFL on Sundays. So, Corey, what do you think about that? What, did, like, where can, what, what does James Franklin do well um, right now?
1: Yeah, I think this is an interesting topic. I hope Penn State fans enjoy this. We're going to break this into a couple of segments here about Franklin. Uh, this, this is uh, from my live questions uh, file earlier this week. Uh, commenter JK 52 posted this, Jared, if you're Franklin and willing to do some honest self-reflection, what do you see as your biggest weaknesses as a coach? And more importantly, how do you fix them? That's a great question. Uh, we're going to do the positives first. We're going to do the glass half full. So we're going to spend a, a segment on the things James Franklin does. Well, Jared touched on several of them. The second segment we're gonna break down some of the things, some of the areas that when we say, "Well, James Franklin's got to improve here and here as a coach," we'll do that. But but I, I do think it was a good question. And by the way, I love uh, the the live questions files that we have. A lot of times, people pose some really really interesting things. Uh, so keep 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 doing that as we do those live questions during the off season. And Jared, I think you you touched on a few of them, James Franklin tremendously personable. He, I, I think he cares about his players. I think he gets involved with recruits, tries to get to know these pe- these players as people. I think James Franklin is a very impressive, intelligent person. Now, look again, we're doing two segments here. This is going to be the, the happy go lucky half glass full segment. The second segment, we're going to uh, touch on some other issues. But James Franklin as a leader, James Franklin as a modern-day college football CEO, Jared, I think is exceptional. I, I think that when you're talking about being able to run a program, which is a business, Penn State football is a $500 million business. It's not a college team. It's a professional sports business. They have over 100 staffers and analysts and all these people that help. I think James Franklin does a fantastic job in all of those areas. And we're going to get to recruiting as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, the off the field stuff, I think he does a great job at him. He's a great face of the university. Um, he's exactly what you would want in the leader of a football program. Um, and he makes the guys that he recruits feel at home. You know, it, it's no surprise when Michael Parsons sends him an autographed Jersey with saying how much he appreciates what he's done. Michael Parsons is the defensive rookie of the year uh, in the NFL after missing a year of, of football. Um, so it's no, it's no surprise that James Franklin has these, this impact on the players that he coaches. That's why these guys come back. That's why they want to give back to the university, because their experience was incredible. And, and more often than not, under James Franklin, they've won. Um, as a CEO, as a leader, great. Great people, great leaders don't always make the greatest coaches. So there, are, there is room for improvement, clearly. Um, but again... You know, the recruiting is there. He makes those families part of, the, part of their own. I mean, a lot of this class didn't step foot on campus. It is incredibly difficult to recruit people when they don't see what you've got going on on campus. And I think that speaks volumes to the type of recruiter that James Franklin is, but also the type of guy that they believe in in Happy Valley, too.
1: And let's add the, the assistant coaches as well as part a uh, part of recruiting. I wrote about recruiting this week. Uh, some Pitt fans didn't necessarily like it, uh, but the point I was trying to make with the story was this: year that, and we talked about this on a podcast a week or two ago. Penn State went four and five in 2020, and seven and six in 2021. You think a lot of things are going wrong. You think there are a lot of problems, and yet they had the number six recruiting class in the country for the class of 2022. They've already signed eight players. or I'm sorry, they've already got eight commitments. They've got the number three recruiting class in the country right now for 2023. What's fascinating to me is you don't have people jumping ship. You don't have recruits saying, "Eh, you collapsed after after going from number four in the country to seven and six. We're going to decommit and go elsewhere. Really haven't seen that. You don't have the best players in the program leaving for the transfer portal. Uh, Noah Cain was one, but you know, that really was not a big surprise. So I think a lot of that comes back to James Franklin and, and again, the staff we, we have to mention the staff, the other coaches, this is not a one man operation, but that is something that truly should be a positive for Penn state fans about the football program is there is a feeling that starts with James Franklin at the top and trickles down to everybody in the program that Penn State is is still where you want to be. 107,000 fans every game on major TV. Um, they can get you to the league. That is so unbelievably important to these kids. Even at seven and six, they're going to have maybe a couple first round draft picks. So th- when we talk about the positives of James Franklin, that's really where he just excels: acquiring talent. Getting people to buy into his vision, and again, he you know the fact that he stayed prevented a mass exodus of players like we saw from Oklahoma, like we almost saw from the Penn State basketball program so there there are a lot of positives about James Franklin with regard to his leadership
0: yeah, I, I don't think anybody has questioned his leadership over the course of his tenure at Penn State, nor should they um. Now, game day management and stuff like that, we'll talk about in the second segment. But but yeah, as far as a leader, to get those guys to come to campus without seeing the campus, just keep in mind, we talked about this a couple times, when you drive to Penn State, when you drive to the Pennsylvania State University, you see a bunch of nothing, a bunch of nothing, a bunch of nothing, boom, Penn State, and then a bunch of nothing, a bunch of nothing, no matter and then what way you come from. And yeah, then Altoona. Right. <laughs> That's right. Depending on which way you come up. And hey, um, you know
1: what? There's people out there saying is a bunch of nothing I'll tell you what let me tell a real quick 20 second story here Jay I live a mile and a half from Walmart from a bowling alley from 40 restaurants from five grocery stores my wife and I were driving around town today but this is for people that bag on Altoona or any city I, I have to drive no more than like three minutes to go anywhere in this town so just just for anybody that ever says you clowns from Altoona what the hell's Altoona I'll tell you what Altoona is awesome
0: I, uh, I have to agree, Corey. I've been born and raised here, spent some time in Pittsburgh, but there's a reason why I came back. And, um, but no, it, it's, and that's the thing. Um, for James Franklin, who's come to Altoona to recruit, um, uh, Kevin Gibbons, you know, obviously James Franklin, what he's doing off the field is, is pretty good. But when we come back from this quick break, we're going to talk about what he's doing on the field that needs some improvements here on the We Are Podcast and the EK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Prugar. Corey, we talked in the first segment about how good James Franklin is off the field. Of course, that's only half the job for being a coach. On the field matters, too, because that's where you win games. Corey, what can James Franklin do to improve to win more football games?
1: And this is what's interesting, because in the first segment, We talk about all these things that fans don't necessarily see when you tune into a game for three, three and a half hours on Saturday, it's easy to get pissed off at a decision on fourth down, a decision to try some bizarre looking fake, fake punt uh, where you have your kicker throwing the ball Uh, and and you're wondering, where did that come from? It's easy to to armchair quarterback what looks like weird decisions in games. And you know what? I, I try not to judge a coach's decision based on the outcome. Sometimes it can be a great decision to go for it on fourth down. And then you don't get it And then fans want to criticize the decision. Well, see, I don't think that's right. Sometimes it can be a great decision, and then you just don't execute the play. Sometimes it can be a terrible decision, and then you actually get it on fourth down. That doesn't change the fact that it was a terrible decision to go for it. I honestly believe that. And I think that there are a number of things. We'll try to specify a few of these. I think there are a number of things. When you watch the game, Jared, there are still – two to four or five instances in a college football game where you look at James Franklin and you, and you, and you kind of think to yourself, what the hell are you doing?
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, that's coaching. You're, you're going to have the, you can't be perfect. You're, you can't be flawless, but yeah, there are a lot of those, those decisions and you, you mentioned about the outcomes. Well, going it on fourth down in a certain situation um, might seem like a good idea. You know, the law of averages, right. Um, you know, you have this finite amount of time, uh, amount of yardage to get and your running back is, is running really well or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, execution matters. And sometimes that execution doesn't happen. Sometimes it does happen. Sometimes it gets messed up. You know, it, it's just putting the team in better positions to succeed. Um, obviously, you want to put a team in conflict and uh, first and second down. So you make it third and short and third and manageable so that you can't get that first down um before anything anything bad happens but again i you know you look back at fourth and five um a couple of years ago you look at some of the fake uh, some of the special teams decisions that they made this year it it it, it does beg the question what are you thinking and why
1: and, and those are really specific individual plays i just get the feeling sometimes more more than sometimes that penn state's not ready to play Okay. And how much of this falls on James Franklin? How much of this falls on the assistant coaches? How much of this falls on the young men? I, you know, I don't know. These are, I think Penn State fans can probably recall numerous situations in games where Penn State just comes out in the first quarter and is lackluster. They don't take a lot of chances, they play things very close to the vest. It's like they're feeling their way, easing their way into the game. I don't feel like, Jared, when the game starts in a lot of games, Penn State's ready to come out and kick some ass. I think that the way James Franklin coaches is they want to come out and ease their way into games. And me personally, I don't like that philosophy. Um, And then – so I think a byproduct of that, is it takes them too long to make adjustments. During his tenure, James Franklin and his staff, they have been exceptional for the most part at halftime adjustments. But why does it take to halftime, Jared? Why, why does it take, you know, uh, two full quarters? Maybe you're trailing. Maybe you're in a close game that you should be winning easily. Th- those are a couple of very specific instances. I just don't think that I feel confident that Penn State is ready to play right off the bat every week. Certainly when they lose a game, his record after a loss, you know, losing again, I just think there's a disconnect there with the the mindset of, of being fully focused and ready to go. And I, I do think that has to come on uh, you know, fall on Franklin's shoulders.
0: Yeah. More often than not, games are started with a script offensive plays are scripted maybe the first 10 15 plays to see what the defense is going to give you before they make those adjustments um could they be more aggressive in some of that play calling sure but you're you're right they kind of feel each other out and and see and it's a little bit of a give and take you want to see what the defense is going to be able to give you and you want to see where you can where you can adjust brent pry was spectacular at in-game adjustments at halftime um offense maybe not so much but as the season goes on you kind of the second half is really when games truly start at when they're close, uh, because that's when defenses and offenses really become, you know, what they can be during games. So there's always that. um, But yeah, I mean, especially out of the bye week how many times now has the bye week been, they end up losing out of the bye week and that's when teams, I know that they spend that mostly on development um, with the walk-ons and the, and the younger guys, but at the same time, it ends up costing them. Maybe it doesn't cost them. Maybe that's not the reason why they lose after bye weeks. But, you know, it beats it volumes, the performance, and they come out on Saturdays, and, and it doesn't add up. Well, part of the
1: story that I wrote this week comparing the Pitt and Penn State recruiting, Pitt's recruiting, by and large, 40th, 50th in the country, and yet they win an ACC title. And you can give Pat Narduzzi credit for doing more with less Penn State recruiting on the other hand very good and yet four and five a year ago seven and six this past season 11 and 11 over the past two years that's doing less with more uh funny comment Penn State has eight players invited to the NFL combine eight and seven wins so somebody commented on Twitter you shouldn't have more players going to the combine than you do wins all right that just really doesn't add up so in the first segment we talked about James Frank on the talent acquirer here getting the most and maximizing the talent obviously in 2016 that team was loaded phenomenal players um but you, you just think okay well why aren't you maximizing Sean Clifford was a four-star recruit some of these offensive linemen were really high, highly recruited and so development player development to me is a major focus.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I've said this multiple times on this podcast and in writing. Stars don't matter when you get to campus. So, yeah, is it great that they turn out a lot of NFL guys? Yeah, sure, that's great for the university. It's great for PR, but it doesn't always add up to wins. There are teams that, that pump out player after player after player, but at the end of the day, they're not they're, the wins aren't adding up on on Saturdays, and that's what Penn State really needs to do. I mean, the player development, yeah, Arnold Avakheti incredible year he played at temple until this year this year was the springboard he needed so that's a thing too and you know it, it's one of those situations where dwight galt's gone can can they replace him and and with who they have which is chuck closey um and is it going to match the same thing and i think that's something that you have to kind of be cognizant of too um because those they are going to train really well at the scouting call, combine they are going to test really well um, at pro days. And, hey, listen, that's great. It's good to put those numbers up. And you see what it's doing for guys in the league like Godwin and like Parsons, um, and guys like that. But at the end of the day, man, the wins have to come too if, if that's what you want for your program.
1: And one specific thing I want to mention here as we close this out um, is just the way – some games play out. We go back earlier. We look again. It, it, it's easy to look and say this particular fourth down call. Why did you go for it? Why did you do this? But what I mean, those, those are easy armchair quarterback. Then you have situations like Michigan State. All right, we talked about this a great deal. Michigan State had the worst run defense in the country. What are they doing? They're just sitting there passing the ball all day long. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that they, I, 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 they had one of the worst pass defenses in the country, and Penn State's running. So, I, yeah, I, I misspoke. We're recording this late at night. So, Penn, Michigan State's got one of the worst pass defenses in the entire country. Penn State's trying to run, trying to run, trying to stay committed to the run, haven't run well all year long. That is, it was so foolish, Jared. It, it's really one of the worst coached games I've ever seen. Now, is that, james franklin or is that mike yersich is mike yersich the one calling all these running plays on a snowy day in east lansing when you should have been throwing the ball quite frankly 70 times so then you get to the bowl game they're actually running the ball miraculously halfway decent what do they do abandon it start start throwing the ball so we hear from james franklin a week or so ago got to get on the same page got to commit more to the run what, what, what the hell's going on here? I know it's a first-year offense coordinator, but Mike Yersich has been around a long time. Where's the communication? You know, wh- where's where's the the feeling that you've got to maximize things on this given day against this given team and just do whatever it takes? Again, the, 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 the lack of passing at Michigan State, abandoning the running when actually it kind of was sort of working against Arkansas in the Outback Bowl, those are the kinds of things that make me look at James Franklin. And and really, you can have all the talent in the world. They say it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. Sometimes it's got to be the damn X's and O's. Because they've got the Jimmys and the Joes. They've had them, and they're going to continue to have them. you got you, you got to be on the same page with everybody going into games.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, but uh, the Michigan State game baffles me because you knew that – the Penn State running game wasn't any good it had not been any good all year Um, and that's you know for better or worse that was just that that was their crutch that was their Achilles heel and the Achilles heel was cut all this year and to not go out and pass and the elements weren't that bad snow is not bad to throw the football in Um, if it was raining yeah maybe that's a different story but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that is questionable. You, you see the run, you know, the run game actually works, then you abandon it. You know, there, it's the absent and flows of the game on Saturday. And that's really, you know, that's what's hard to, to kind of come up with because every game is different. Every situation is different, different hash, different yard marker, different down and distance in different situations. You're down by this, you're up by that. That's tough. It, it's not easy to, to go through those decisions in split seconds so yeah it's hard but yeah the communication has to be better and and how much of an of of an impact does James Franklin have on that offense because you look at a guy like Mike Tomlin Mike Tomlin calls the Steelers defense more often than not and that's with guys like Dick LeBeau who was a really good defensive coordinator and really good coach the NFL money is on the line livelihoods are on the line with these head coaches it's no surprise that in the NFL a lot of those guys call their own plays. So how much of an impact an impression does James Franklin have on offensive play calling? That we don't know. Um, and you know it's all about kind of what the game dictates. You go out and you see what the game is going to give you, you take advantage of the weaknesses, you put defenses in conference and things usually run out or uh, things usually work out. And that really just didn't happen for Penn State this year. They had the athletes. I thought Kevon Lee was uh, was should have taken a step further this year, but the running game wasn't any good. Same thing with Noah Cain. Kane. Noah Cain's now at LSU. And, you know, he was behind guys that were better than he was uh, as far as the way the performance goes. But it comes down to execution. You have to put players in the right spots to help you win football games. Yeah, we didn't, and, we, yeah and I was just going to
1: close. You know, J- James Franklin is – he does a lot of things well. Go back and listen to our first segment. The seg- second segment – the reason why they don't win certain games that they should win, and so he's still a young man. He just turned fifty. I hope J- James is a very thoughtful, meticulous person. They they prepare for everything. They they have an idea, an itinerary of if they go to this bowl game or that bowl game or this practice and that they have they have everything mapped out. They're so well organized. I hope James Franklin is that well organized in his own thoughts and his own self-awareness and reflection. I've been a sports writer for 30 years. I know the things I'm good at. I know the things I suck at. And, And I do suck at some things. We all suck at certain parts of our job. I think a lot about it. I spend a lot of time. Hopefully there's listeners out there, Jared, that's like, I got you do this well, but yeah, I don't like this. And that's fine. And I, and I would own up to a lot of it. Uh, you as a teacher, Jared, there are probably certain things that you're spectacular at. Kids love. And other mm-hmm. things like that, That Mr. Prugar, grief, man. What the hell is he doing? I hope that James Franklin truly is self-reflective and self-aware about whatever it is, two, four, six, eight things that he sits down in his private time and reflects on in his mind, I must improve on this. Not that he's ever going to admit those things to us publicly, but I really hope that for as well-organized and scheduled as, as he is about everything, I hope he's got a schedule in his mind. The next time this happens in a game, I'm going to do this. The next time we're in this situation, I'm going I'm to do better in these very specific
0: points. Right. And, you know, as a coach, you got to analyze, you got to self reflect, and hopefully, you know, hopefully it works because every year you've got to be better because livelihoods are at stake for both you and your assistant coaches. Um, and that's kind of the way that, that it is. It is, in fact, a business. But again, you know, who knows? So there's a lot that he is good at. There's a lot that he needs to get better at. Will that happen this offseason? We're going to find out um, on a Thursday night in September. Uh, (laughs) Penn State plays uh, Purdue to start the season.
1: And how about this for our third segment? Let's do this, Jared. Let's talk about Cale Sanderson and Micah Shrewsbury. We can have like a quick discussion on what might be the best college coach in the country in any sport and Cale Sanderson. And then we can break down Micah Shrewsbury. We're doing the coaching analysis thing. we'll, We'll tackle those two guys in the third segment.
0: We'll come right back from this quick break on the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. We are talking coaching at Penn State. We talked about James Franklin, the football coach. Now, this is not the only sport at Penn State, believe it or not. We are talking about Penn State basketball, Michael Shrewsbury, and Penn State wrestling, Kale Sanderson. Kale Sanderson is one of the best coaches of, or greatest coaches of all time in the sport of wrestling. Um, and Penn State's track record has proven that time and time again each and every year. Um, and Corey, you know, when that happens, that's a special thing to be a part of.
1: You know what? Uh, Kale Sanderson, eight national championships. I, whether people want to agree with this or not, that's fine. I think the greatest coach of all time in any sport is Nick Saban. Now, as people snicker and like, what the hell? Vince Lombardi, Red Arbok, whatever. I mean, whatever, look. Nick Saban, what he has done during this era, this era of college football, which is far more competitive than any era ever for Bear Bryant or any Newt Roden, any of those guys. This to win at this level in this era of college football is incredible. All right, I, I think it's astounding. You can throw Bill Belichick with the seven, with the six Super Bowls. But uh, Nick Saban said, I think Nick Saban is the greatest coach of all time in any sport. Anybody wants to debate me, shoot me an email. That's fine with me, but I can make a case that other than Nick Saban, Cale Sanderson is the best coach in all of college sports. And that includes Mike Shashevsky or anybody else you want to throw up there. Cale Sanderson, eight national titles, could be nine this year. Obviously he was an unbelievable wrestler went undefeated in wrestling, but when you think about Kale Sanderson, the success that he's had at Penn State, Jared, which was not, you know, absolutely not a, a major wrestling school before he got there, not to this level, he gets the absolute most out of everybody in that program. And now that they've really got it going, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't know a hell of a lot about wrestling recruiting, but I would have to think that they can really kind of get their pick of the litter of of the best high school kids coming out year after year.
0: Yeah, the Big Ten is a hotbed. You know, you look at Iowa, Ohio State, Michigan at most times, and you look at Penn State, and Pennsylvania is a hotbed for wrestling. It's some of the best wrestling in the country year after year after year. And, yeah, Sanderson, I mean, he has his pick of the litter. Um, Anybody that typically wants to go anywhere to be somebody, it's usually either Iowa or Penn State. And more often than not, they do pick Penn State quite a bit. And they've had some – and then they – Usually pick Penn State and then go beat Iowa at Iowa or um, or, in, uh, or at Rec Hall and State College. But on the flip side at Penn State, you've got the basketball program. The basketball program just a few short years ago was on the cusp of play of a tournament berth before the world fell apart. And then lo and behold, Pat Chambers gets fired. Jim Ferry takes over. and Now we're on to Mike Shrewsbury uh, for the Penn State men's basketball team.
1: And you know what? Micah is doing a terrific job. Just absolutely, absolutely the right guy for that job. Um, the way Penn state compete, you can see this is a, this is a foundation year. This is a total bridge year for Micah, Micah, Shrewsbury and, and Penn state. And you can see the way they compete. They're in these games. They almost won at Wisconsin, which they haven't done in a long, long time. Uh, really a terrible second uh, collapse at the end of the first half, blowing an 11-point lead against Michigan at the Jordan Center, and then they lose that. But they're in these games. What Micah Shrewsbury needs is better players. He-, he needs better players. If they can get those better players through a combination of high school recruiting and transfer portal and then keep those players, because what's going to happen is you're, you're going to see 35 to 40% of these college basketball players in the portal every year, probably going forward. Well, if Penn State's bringing in really good players, but they enter the portal a year or two later, you know, you got to be able to keep your players and develop them. Because I think Micah is a really good coach, just a terrific people person. I don't like his offense, Jared. I don't like the offense at all. Not with this team. They need shooters. You, you, Everything is, you know, spacing. You got to, you know, drive and dish. You got to have guys make shots. There's just – John Crispin said it during the Michigan game on TV, the analyst. So there's too much standing around, waiting for somebody to do something. So when when he gets his guys fully bought into his system and developing year over year, I do think there is a lot of potential there.
0: Yeah, I mean, what he's doing with guys that really he had to re-recruit to come back to Penn State. Uh, So I think that speaks volumes, too. I mean, obviously, these aren't the players that he necessarily wants to run his system with. But to go out and, and compete the way that they do, I think, speaks volumes to what they, how they respect him. Um, it seems like they respect the hell out of him, and I think that's incredible. You come in as a first-year head coach. This is his first head coaching experience at this level, and, man, he's doing a great job. Obviously, the results are the results, but nobody expects much from Penn State basketball. They never really have, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, other than you know that later in t- Pat, t- Pat Chambers' career uh, or tenure at Penn State when they were on the cusp of making a run in the tournament, maybe not making it to the final four by any, by any stretch of the imagination, but that 2020 team, they could have done some damage. They could have, they could have, you know, turned some heads in the tournament. And I think, you know, now that Shrewsbury is there, they've got some consistency. They've got that back in the fold. I think that's huge because now, guess what? Now you can bring these guys in you say, Hey, listen, these guys, he's getting these guys to play this way he gets to go out and get his own guys and i think that's that's going to be the big thing now that he doesn't have to yeah. fight that battle that's going to be huge down the road for him
1: he's got to get the right guys and what the transfer portal is going to do you know there're going to be so many guys in there every year in college basketball you got to bring in the right guys with the right attitude uh there's a good opportunity at penn state for these guys he he can offer them hey come here you can start for a big 10 team we're going to give you a chance to score a lot of points uh but then what what he's going to have to really sell is he wants to play a really good, tough, defensive philosophy. And that's great. they can You, you can win that way. It's not the sexiest way to appeal to a bunch of 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. These guys, a lot of college kids, they want to shoot, they want to score, they want to have fun. Defense is all about grinding and work and effort. So what happens is you expend all your energy on the defensive end do you have your legs to make jump shots in the last two or three minutes of games? That that's what's a challenge. But, but again, those are very ultra specific player to player to player things that we'll see will happen in the coming years with Penn state, but there's no question. They got the right coach because I, I, I just think he instills a lot of confidence in a lot of those kids.
0: Yeah. And listen, that's the biggest thing we talk coaching all the time. And we talked about this on your radio show on WRTA in Altoona when you believe in somebody, when you are believed in, that person just takes it to another level. They go out and they compete for you every single night. If you go out and believe them and have confidence in them and they have confidence in you, the sky is the limit. Shrewsbury has done that with guys that really, they shouldn't give a rat's ass who he is because of how they were treated by the university when everything went down between Pat Chambers and then Jim Ferry. And to be, to do what they are doing... Penn State, I think, is going to play very well in the Big Ten tournament. I think they're, they might not win at all, and I don't think that they will because the Big Ten is strong this year. Um, but, again, they're fighting for him. They're competing for him each and every day, much like people are doing for Kale Sanderson, much like people are doing for James Franklin. Michael Shrewsbury is the right guy for the job at the right time. Penn State and, and Sandy Barbara, I think, have done a really good job uh, of maintaining that and, and keeping those guys there. Um, because listen, Kale Sanderson can go wherever the hell he wanted. Iowa State calls him up, Iowa calls him up, whoever, they just have to write a blank check. But he's at Penn State for a long, long time. Shrewsbury, I think if he does it right and things go well for him, could be the same at Penn State. Or, you know, if you turn them into a perennial power, then that's great. That's exactly what, what you want. Because Corey, you and I have both been to the Bryce Jordan Center when it's packed, and it is an incredible atmosphere there. And it's My, An incredible uh, envi- environment, even for wrestling. When wrestling pra- packs the BJC like it did last week,
1: I'll give kind of a uh, different approach. With if if he, if Shrewsbury really gets it going, uh, I, I think he'll leave because uh, Micah Shrewsbury is an impressive guy. He is an impressive guy, and if he gets to an NCAA tournament, and there is a, a, a you know a major job opening in this country, like a Louisville, like a uh, Hella UCLA, even. I know that Mick Mick is doing a good job there. Micah Shrewsbury's the kind of guy that, look, Penn State basketball is a stepping stone job. It just is. Penn State football is not a stepping stone job. I mean, that's the kind of job you could be able to stay at 20, 30 years. Penn State basketball, if if Micah Shrewsbury really gets it rolling in a year or two, gets to a tournament, maybe two, uh, I don't believe he'll be there any longer because somebody, Texas, uh lsu somebody will call up and say how about four million dollars um how about come run our tradition rich basketball program so but look that's that's actually that's actually positive thinking because hey i would take one or two ncaa tournament appearances if if, you know even if it means mike is going to be leaving in three to five years
0: yeah i mean i i've seen this firsthand at robert morris you know you have andy tool there um and, and they've made it to the tournament quite a few times when they were in the, back in the NEC. And, you know, there's always that rumor he would leave if, uh, if, if he got a better opportunity. And, and ultimately, he stays at Robert Morris. You hope that for the consistency um, of the program that Shrewsbury stays for a long time. And if, the, if he does, Penn State's in good shape. Um, and can if we, not, then they're in better a, shape than what he left it.
1: Can we spend a segment on the podcast at some point? I'd really love your perspective on this, Jared. I really would. If Robert Morris should have left the NEC, I, I, we don't have to do it now. We can kind of tease it. Maybe we can do a third segment at some point. Uh, I thought the NEC was a perfect fit for Robert Morris. They were the perennial power. I, I, I'd really like to get your thoughts on that in, in an expanded discussion at some point.
0: That sounds good to me, Corey, but until then, we'll leave it hanging like that for whenever we talk about the NEC and Robert Morris and even Pittsburgh, the rest of Pittsburgh basketball, for that matter. So for Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Prugar on the We Are Podcast and the EK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.